Have you ever sat through a sermon and wondered if somehow the preacher had found out your sin? Or maybe just you've sat through a sermon and the message related just so much to your life. It spoke directly to the circumstances you were going through right then and there in your life. It was like the message was being preached individually to you. It was so relevant, so helpful, so convicting, or so comforting. The Word of God spoke directly to your life. I can think of a specific series that uh, several years ago that Pastor Reed preached, and it was through a book, on the Bi- book of the Bible, and in that specific series, I remember sermon after sermon dealt with exactly the circumstances, the situations that I was dealing with in life, and, and the application was spot on to the things that I was experiencing and, and going through, uh, and as I started out with, it was as if this message was preached individually to me. I think a lot of us have encountered this and have experienced this, and this evening we find out why. Our next verse in our memorable verses series is Hebrews 4.12. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So that is our verse for tonight, and as we consider this verse, we are we will answer the what, the how, and the where of this verse. So that will kind of be our outline. Uh, Three questions. We're going to look at the what, the how, and the where. So we'll begin with the question, what is the subject? What is the subject of of Hebrews 4.12? What is it talking about? This is a very important question to ask, and, and as I ask it, you might think that seems pretty simple. That pre- seems pretty obvious as you look at this, this verse, but there is some debate as to what the subject is. Different people take it different ways, but I think it's really important that we look at this. We're going to have to look at the context to see what specifically is being talked about, and as we think about application, uh, we need to, to have this figured out. So Hebrews 4.12, it begins and says, for... The Word of God. So what is the subject? We'd say, it's the Word of God. But the question that needs to be asked is, what Word? What Word of God is being talked about here? And it's important to to think about this, especially with uh, this verse being found in the the book of Hebrews. As Hebrews 1, 1 through 1-2 begins this way, it says... Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. So Hebrews opens by talking about how God, at one time he spoke through the prophets, and now he's saying he's spoken through his Son, Jesus Christ. That just as the prophets brought forth the message and very words of God, so too Jesus does. And um, not from the book of Hebrews, but John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So we might ask, and and as I kind of suggested, some would take this verse as saying Hebrews 4.12 is talking about Jesus, that Jesus is the focus of this verse. But if we look at the immediate context, the verses leading up to Hebrews 4.12, multiple times, so several times, they refer to the Word of God talking about God's written Word. And I'll 
give us this passage and read it for us. So um, part of the same context or part of the same um, thing that's being talked about in four, Hebrews 4.12, the verses leading up to it, uh, we find that it starts with this passage. Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 11 say, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear, my, hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Verse 10 says, Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. I read for us this passage as the author of Hebrews is quoting Scripture. He's quoting God's word and God's written word being Psalm 95, 7 through 11. That is the passage in the Old Testament that the author of Hebrews is going back and quoting here, Psalm 95, 7 through 11. And not only does the author of Hebrews quote it here in the passage I just gave us, but in this passage leading up to Hebrews 4.12, he mentions parts of Psalm 95 another four times. So the author of Hebrews continues to quote God's written word. So as he talks about God's word, talking about the written word of God. Also, as the author of Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95, 7 through 11, we find an interesting comment made as to who is speaking these words. Okay, I'll read for us again Hebrews 3, 7. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... As the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice. So the point, or uh, the author of Hebrews is trying to make very, very clear, this is God's word that's being talked about here, that Psalm 95 is God's word, as the Holy Spirit says. But interestingly enough, later in the passage, as this Psalm 95 is quoted once again, in Hebrews 4, 7, this is what the author of, of Hebrews says. He says, again, he appoints, which is God, Again, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So the passage, or, or Psalm 95, that was credited to the Holy Spirit saying something, God's very word, now he says that he said this through David. Meaning that these were words that David wrote, that David penned, Psalm 95, 7 through 11, that is how they were recorded, but it was ultimately God speaking through him. God was using David to write his words, and this is the exact point in 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21, a, a familiar verse. That's the point that's being made in this verse. It says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what was written in the scriptures, 2 Peter 1, 20-21 is saying that what was written there is surely God's word, but how it was recorded was through the pen of human authors. And, and that is the exact point that's being made here. Uh, the author of Hebrews is, is making clear that yes, the Holy Spirit said this, but it was through David. It was as David recorded Psalm 95. And the point, and I point this out to us as we come full circle back to what we began considering, and that is what is meant 
in Hebrews 4.12 when it speaks of the word of God. And being true to this section, I would say the context that Hebrews 4.12 is, is being written in and the verses leading up to it are speaking of God's spoken and written word. As God spoke through his prophets and as he worked through the authors of the Old and New Testament, that is the subject of this verse. The scriptures are the subject of Hebrews 4.12. It is our Bibles that were recorded by David, by Moses, by Peter, by Paul, but ultimately they were recording the very words of God. Our Bibles are the focus of our verse for this evening. Okay, that is the subject. God's spoken and his written word is what the subject is of Hebrews 4.12. So application, first we find in our verse for this evening, uh, or what we find in our verse for this evening, concerns what God's word is and what it can accomplish. So we find in our verse that kind of the focus is what God's word is and what it can accomplish. This verse will teach us great truths about the Bible. Hebrews 4.12, I would say, rates right up there with the verse I already quoted, 2 Peter 1.20 and 21. Another familiar verse, that I don't have it on the screen, but 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, it says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hebrews 4, 12 rates right up there in, in communicating to us, what do we find in our Bibles? What is it? Okay. What can it accomplish? And then secondly, already have it up there, we are reminded here of the process by which our Bibles came about. So just looking at the context, looking at the fact that the Holy Spirit is credited these words, but also it says through David. We see here that our Bibles are not a man-made object. Our Bibles are not the work even of co-authors. You'll sometimes see books are published by co-authors that they've written it together. Rather, we learn here that God is the author, and in a process that I would say, as you think about it, we can't fully understand how it was done. God used human authors to write his word while they were still truly the human author's words. They certainly in some portions, like the prophets, God dictated. He told them exactly what they wanted or what he wanted them to say. But in other portions, the human author wrote and they were guided by the Holy Spirit so that their words were the very words of God. So that is the subject of our verse. I don't believe it's the Son of God. I don't believe it's Jesus, but rather the words being talked about are the Scriptures, what we find in our Bibles. And next, this, the second question I want to look at is, how is God's Word described? Okay, what is said about it in our verse? So Hebrews 4.12 again says, for the Word of God, and the, then I want to focus on this section, is living and active. The Word of God is living and active. We're given two descriptions here with the words living and active. And these two words, I would say, very much so go together. They're very similar in meaning. So we'll consider the word living first. And this word living speaks of being life-producing, that the Word of God gives life. That is what's being said here when it says, for the Word of God is living, it's saying that the Word of God can give life. I'll give you a physical example. In John eleven forty three through 44, we get the account of Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus. It says this, 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him, and let him go. So we have Jesus' words here. He calls out, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus is brought back to life. The word of God can produce physical life. But it also can produce spiritual life. In this example, in 1 Peter 1, 23-25, I have in bold there, the, the same word living is used, and it says this, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So this first Peter passage is speaking about or of how they came to be born again. Okay? How, they, how they were saved. How they came to faith in Jesus Christ and it says that it was through God's word. They were given spiritual life. It, it says, um, again, since you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but of imperishable. And it says through the living, the life producing, the spiritual life producing word of God. And that leads us to the other word that's used in Hebrews 4.12, and that is the word active. It says, for the word of God is living and active. This word active speaks of being effective, at work, powerful, able to cause something to happen. And to give some examples from the scriptures, I'll just read a few of these. I have all of them up here on the screen, but I'll just read a few for the sake of time. We go to the book of Genesis and it opens and we're given an example of God's word being active. In Genesis 1-3 it says, and God said, so it's his words, let there be light. There was light. In Genesis 1-6-7 it says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. Just one more in Genesis 1.9 says, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And I'll just flip through them. We have multiple more examples in Genesis of this exact thing, that God said something, and it was created, that God used his words, that through his words, the world was created, that God speaks something into existence, and it is created. God's very words are what are used to create the world in all things in the beginning of Genesis, that they are, we see that they're powerful, they're effective, they're able to cause things to come into existence out of nothing. God's words were the means by which he created the whole entire world. Just an example of them being active. Another example, in the words of Jesus, in Mark 4, 35 through 41, I'll read this account in full. It says, on that day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? And verse 29 says, And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Notice the words I have in bold and underlined. He awoke, he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And then the very next words it says, And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. It was through Jesus' words that this took, took place. And then one further example of this word active, and, and again, we, we actually have a... Um, we have the verb form of this word active in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and I've bolded it for us. It says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This verse in 1 Thessalonians, it begins by stressing something uh, that we already considered in our first point, and that's that Paul speaks of how the Thessalonian believers accepted the words that he was giving, the words that he was preaching, ultimately bringing forth the word of God. They accepted these as God's word. Even though they were coming from the mouth of Paul, they saw them as the very words of God. Though Paul spoke to them, it ultimately was God's word, God's message. And then at the end there, we find this word work, and it's related to our word active in Hebrews 4.12. We see that they're already Christians, so it's not life-producing, or we're not getting an example of it being life-producing in the sense that they're becoming saved, but rather they're Christians, and he says, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Speaking that God's work is working, it's active in causing them to live obedient lives to him, to God. So as we think about these first two descriptions that the word of God is living and active, we find that God's word is no dead word. They are not normal, lifeless words, but they give life both physically and spiritually. They have power, they're at work. They cause things to happen. And, and my question to you is simply, have you ever thought of your Bible this way? Have you ever thought of your Bible this way? And, and maybe I, I should ask it this way. Do you regularly think of your Bible this way? You come to it and read it. As you come and, and listen to the Word of God preach, as the Word of God is, is spoken, as it's read, as it's proclaimed, do you think of the Word of God this way? Do you, do you look at it as just some ordinary book? And as we think of these two descriptions of our Bible, I want to help us to grasp this a little bit better. And I want you to think about your words for a moment and compare them to the words of God. Okay, we can give a command. All right? You can tell someone to do something. And that person might follow you. But their following you is not because of some power in your words. They hear your command and they choose to listen and, and to follow you. God's word is not like this. It has power. God has instilled within his word the power to cause, cause things to help, cause people to change, to cause people to receive their life once they're dead, to cause spiritually dead people to come alive, 
to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's word is not like our words that have no power to ultimately cause people to do something or to change people. And to help us grasp this a little further, I'd ask you to compare what we've seen concerning God's word and just compare it to the words of a book. Books can be impactful. You might have a favorite book that that really impacted you. It might have been very um, life-altering. It was motivating. Words in a book can stir you and encourage you and comfort you. But ordinary books do not have power within them. They cannot cause us to do something. And we find here that the Bible is no ordinary book. God's word is living and active. It's life-producing and powerful. There's certainly value to other books, especially to other Christian books, but they are not even close to the same level as the Bible. As we wrap up this second question, before we get to application for this second question, I'd like us to consider Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, I think they communicate the very point that these words, living and active, do. Isaiah 55, and I'll start by reading verse 10 and then elaborate on it. It says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. All right, so in Isaiah, an illustration is being given, and I think it's very straightforward. It's speaking of rain and snow falling, and there's a result that plants, that crops grow on the land, that ultimately they bring forth fruit and vegetables and food uh, for people. And, And ultimately this illustration is being used to speak of the word of God, as it says in verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So the word of God is being spoken about in this verse. The words that go from the mouth of God. It says they will not return empty, meaning that God's word will not fail. And as the the last two lines make that very clear, and I want to draw out two points from these last two lines. And the first is, notice who is given the credit for the word accomplishing and succeeding. It is God. It says, what I purpose. And then it speaks for which I sent it. Okay, so the word of God is not some entity on its own. It's not just some creature with its own mind, but the word of God is intimately connected to God. God has instilled power in his word to accomplish his his purpose, his purposes and plans through it. And then the second point I want to draw out This concerns the effectiveness of the word. It says, it shall, it will accomplish. And then God says, and shall succeed. When God's word is spoken, it will do what God desires it to do. It cannot be dodged or avoided. It cannot be ignored or defeated. But God's word will work and act as God sees fit. What God wants to see happen through his word will surely take place. So application off this second question, I'd simply ask you, have you been viewing, how have you been viewing the Bible? 
You've been viewing it as an ordinary book, as a history book, as an interesting book to memorize facts from, as a book that seems boring and lifeless. And my hope, my prayer is that Hebrews 4.12, if we're thinking about the Bible this way, would wake us up to the reality that none of these things are true. The Bible is a book that holds the very words of God, that God has chosen to work through and bring about amazing results with. The second point of application is as we read the Bible regularly, we should read with faith and confidence that the words we read will be at work within us. Hey, do we remember this as we read the word? Do you have faith that God's word can powerfully work within you as you just do your daily Bible reading? Do we have this in our minds as we read? And further, as we sit under the preaching of the word of God, we should pray that God would use his word to change us, that it would be at work within us as we hear it preached and proclaimed. There should be an excitement, an anticipation, as we show up on a Sunday that God is going to work through his word in those listening. Do we view the preaching of God's word this way? Do we anticipate it? Do we get excited about it, that God is going to work through his word how he sees fit. And then lastly for application here, I'd like us to consider the effectiveness of God's word for a moment. Okay, the words living and active, they communicate effectiveness. Further, Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, I think communicates this very clearly. And I'd like to, <clears throat> excuse me, I'd like to offer just a, a point of application and even I'd say encouragement, reassurance, for parents, as you teach your, the word to your children, for Sunday school teachers, for children's Bible teachers, for Wednesday night speakers, for us pastors who preach, I think this verse should be a great source of encouragement as we teach the word of God. Those who have taught certainly know the feeling of presenting God's word faithfully. You've studied for hours. You've worked meticulously on your message. You've edited it. You've practiced it so that you made sure that this is God's word that you're communicating. You get up, you teach it, and you may hear a few comments. You might get a thank you for your message, but you don't hear the conviction or the comfort or the challenge or the change that the word of God produced in anyone's life. And especially those who have taught the same people for a period of time, you, you might not see any obvious results. It can be very easy as a, as a teacher, as someone bringing forth the word of God to become discouraged, disheartened by this. And I think Hebrews 4.12 needs to be a, a source of great encouragement every time you finish teaching. If you've presented God's word, and even if you don't hear or you see any results, that does not mean that there are no results. It does not mean that God's word failed. It does not mean that fruit has not been produced in the lives of those who heard the message. Why? Because God promises to use his word. His word is living and active. And further, if we think about this, what Isaiah 55 uh, compares the word of God to, snow and rain falling down and, and crops and plants and fruit growing up, I want you to think about that illustration for a moment. When the earth is watered, do plants and crops grow up immediately? Do they, does it rain and then immediately they pop up? No. 
There's a growing period. There's a growing uh, period of time underground that they're growing. Only after some time can it be seen that the crop and the fruit are there. And so too it is for teachers and preachers of the Word of God. You might not see the fruit of your labors. We may never see the change that was brought about, or maybe it is only after months or years that you actually see the result. But be reassured by Hebrews 4.12 that as you teach the Word of God, it's living and active. It's at work. It's effective. It will change and convict and take hold of people's lives. Not because of you. Even if you don't see it. Because ultimately it is the Word of God. So our last question we'll consider is where does the Word of God do its work? Where does the Word of God do its work? And we'll consider the rest of our verse. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and active. And then I want us to consider the next couple phrases. It says, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we'll break this down into several parts, and we'll consider first that a comparison is made. It says the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. In the book of Ephesians, the Word of God is, is spoken of as a sword. It says, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Here, in our verse, it's actually being compared to a sword. And the comparison is to show that God's word is sharper, that it cuts better and deeper than any sword can. The word sharper gets this across, but I think it's also reiterated with the type of sword that's being talked about here. It's a two-edged sword. It's a sword that is sharp on both sides. A sword that would have been seen as extremely effective. It's sharper. It can cut better. It can stab deeper than the best sword or the most capable weapon. And we might think, how can the Word of God be sharper? God's Word is not literally sharp. We would never use our Bibles or think of the Bible as an effective weapon. But we find the next word and phrases that come after it are not speaking of the Bible as a, as a literal weapon or a physical weapon. So next we'll consider the next couple of phrases or, or words, and we find it shows three ways as to where um, the Word of God works. And the first is that the Word of God is said to be penetrating. It says in Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then we get this word piercing. Piercing or penetrating to the division of soul and of spirit. It just says a sword penetrates the body physically. Someone stabbed, it, it breaks through the skin and goes into the person's body here, the Word of God is said to penetrate or to pierce. And I'll, I'll be able to say this better as we look at the, the next two ways in, in the verse. But for now, the fact that the word, is said to, the word of God is said to pierce or to penetrate shows that it's at work inside of us. That it gets inside of us. Just like a sword that is stabbed, the Word of God is at work within us. It's not just actions or, or behaviors or words or things that can be seen or, or heard from us, but the Word of God penetrates to work inside us, and, and we see this, I think, more clearly from the next two phrases. As we consider the second way the location of the Word of God is communicated, 
we find the word of God works within our whole being. As it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it says, Piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. The point here is not to find the difference between soul and spirit or exactly how the word of God pierces joints and marrow, but rather the point here that the author of Hebrews is communicating is to name several different aspects of the human body to show that the word of God penetrates to some of the deepest places and ultimately the core of a person's being. What is being said is that the word of God penetrates and impacts and engages the whole person. Soul and spirit shows the inward aspect, and joints and marrow show the physical, or the, not physical, the, the outward aspect. This further furthers the point then that the word of God does not only change or confront how people can visibly see us act, but, but also and even more so inwardly. You're talking with someone who's struggling with, with a sin in their life. There's only so far you can go. There's only so far that you can penetrate into what they think or what they desire, their motivations for sin. And we find here that the Word of God cannot only just, or cannot go only so far, but it can go and it can uncover and unearth every aspect of our lives. Now the third way the, the location is communicated is that the, the Word of God examines our reflections and feelings. As it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. And then we get this phrase, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we come to the third phrase, and we find that the Word of God specifically does or what, this, what the Word of God does specifically deep within us, and further, we find where God does His work in us. This word discerning speaks of being able to judge something. Okay, this is the only place that we get this, this word discerning in the New Testament. And as we consider what this word means uh, in this context, as, a, as I said, it, it speaks of being able to judge something. I think in this context, it's speaking of examining something, seeing something, but even more so, and I'd like to read a quote for us, as I think it gives us an additional understanding, um, and gives us a fuller idea of what this word is saying and, and what it's saying the word of God does deep within us. A quote from F.F. F. Bruce in his commentary, he, he quotes a study of this word since it's not found in any other place in the New Testament. Uh, he quotes a study of how it's used in other writings, and he says this. It's not surprising, accordingly, that a judicial function is here attributed to the word of God. It is discriminative of the heart's thoughts and intents. And then here's this study. This is the rendering of E.K. Simpson, who in a survey of the use of the adjective by Aristotle and others says, in all these examples, it is a sifting process that is at work. And what winnowing fan can vie with the gales of the spirit blowing through the word? Okay, so in this study, um, it talks about this word being used in a sifting sense. Okay, it says, in all these examples, it is a sifting process or a filtering process. 
He speaks of winnowing, which speaks of removing or ridding of something. So I think the idea here with this word, not only examining or seeing deep within us, I think also the idea is a filtering out of sin and a ridding of evil. And where is this done? So this word discerning is being used. Where is this done? We get this, our phrases, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions. The thoughts and the intentions. And, and these two words are very, very similar. Thoughts and intentions in, in the original language. It's talking about your reflections. What you think about in your mind. It is the things that no one else knows or sees. It's what no x-ray machine can, can view. It's those things that only you and God know that you think about. That as you process things and the things in your mind, your reflections, your meditations, the things that run through your mind constantly is what is being talked about here by the thoughts and the intentions. And, and further, we get this idea of it's really talking inwardly. What goes on inside of us is this word heart. As it says, in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Heart not meaning our physical heart, but rather our being. What makes us who we are, what we value, what we believe, what we ultimately think about. So this is where God's word, which is life producing and powerful and effective, does its work in us inwardly. It can change hearts. It can take those sinful lusts those evil plans that no one knows about and would be shocked to hear you think about. And God's word can convict you of them and bring about renewed and transform godly thoughts. That is the idea here when it says discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And further, as it talks about it, piercing the soul and the spirit, the division of joints and marrow. And I won't read these in full, but just two examples as I was thinking about how the Word of God does, or is, is shown to do this in the Scriptures. I thought of the example of Jonah. And just to sum it up, rather than reading all of Jonah 3, in Jonah 3, Jonah goes back and, and he brings the message to the Ninevites. And it's a very short message that um, ultimately we see God gave him in, in, at the end of verse 4. We see what Jonah calls out to the Ninevites, the word of God. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. A short message. We would have maybe expected God to give him more to bring out to the Ninevites, but that is what is given. And then, as I said, we won't read it, but in verses 5 through 10, we see a, what seems to be a very genuine repentance, a very genuine conviction of sin and belief in God from the Ninevites. And we see how it's God's word that Jonah brought, and from it, the Ninevites were transformed. And then a New Testament example, Peter gives his sermon in the early chapters of Acts to over 3,000 people, and we're told in Acts 2.37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? So Peter proclaims the word of God and says they were cut to the heart. They believed. They were transformed through the word of God. So application, it is the word of God that must be relied upon to change hearts and lives of individuals. And I want to just bring out three uh, 
specific areas that this needs to be relied upon. And the first is our personal holiness. Beginning with ourselves, it must be what we rely upon. We've already considered uh, other books, and of course, I'd strongly encourage consistent reading in, in Christian, good Christian books, but it's the Bible that we must be reading the most. And what we must be relying upon is this is the only book that has the power to transform our hearts. It's the only book that can cut us and penetrate our sinful thoughts and intentions. So it starts with us in our own lives relying upon it. But secondly, in our gospel witness to others, we must not depart from the word of God. As we share the gospel with others, we need to make sure that it's ultimately the message that God, or the message of the gospel, the message of the word of God, as that is ultimately what God uses to bring someone to faith. Not our persuasion, not our gimmicks, but the word of God. And then as we already thought about, Bible teachers don't depart from the word of God. And even as we already considered, if it seems like there is no result, don't fall into the temptation of trying to entertain or relying upon games or jokes or stories as they won't ultimately change and soften the hearts of God. The conclusion to our verse has made it clear that the Bible is the greatest instrument to penetrate wicked and hard hearts as we teach. So depend on it when it comes to your personal holiness, as it comes to sharing the gospel, as it comes to Bible teaching, make sure it's these that we're depending on over any other tactic or material. So as we considered Hebrews 4.12 this evening, may God use it to remind us of what his word is and further that we would have a confidence in it as we read it, as we hear it preached, that this is the weapon that God uses to slay our sin and drive us to live more faithfully for him. Let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to study a passage that teaches us about your spoken and your written word. Lord, I pray that you would just help us uh, as we think about Hebrews 4.12, as we think about the things that are communicated in it, that we would just have a, a new or renewed view of your word as we, as we read it, as we study it, as we meditate it, meditate on it, as we hear it preached. Lord, I pray that you would really just help us uh, to view it as like no other book, as no other words, that it is living and it's active, it's powerful, it's effective. And Lord, I pray that that um, would really shine forth and, and even be applied as we, we think about our own uh, growing in, in holiness, as we think about our teaching, as we think about our witness. Lord, I pray that we would take these things and, and may it be your word that we're declaring, that we're relying upon. And Lord, I just pray that you would uh, just even work in us this evening. I pray that you would work, on, work in us uh, going forward. Uh, and Lord, I pray that you would use your word to transform us, uh, to help us to strive to live more faithfully for you. Lord, we just thank you for all things, and I pray that you would help us as we go into our week to live uh, lives that um, are obviously believing in you and believing in your gospel. In your name I pray. Thank you for joining us this evening, and you are dismissed.